We certainly want to thank the choir for that inspiring anthem. Let us pray. Oh God, our Father, the words of that old gospel song ring in our ears, and we do pray that you will plant our feet on higher ground. Plant our feet there by making our aim toward heaven better. Enable us to know your will more clearly, and knowing it, do it. We pray that you will accept the gifts which we bring this morning and that you will superintend their use and that you will guide that what we give of our money will glorify Jesus Christ, extend his kingdom, and bring mercy and goodness in his name. And now, Father, all of us pray that you will make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Richard and I have been working through the Sermon on the Mount. We have come to the part of the Sermon on the Mount in which the Lord's Prayer is uh, given to us. And having looked at the Lord's Prayer and thought about... Uh, the great privilege that prayer makes for us in life. I can remember well many, many years ago going out into the Sangre de Cristo Mountains northeast of Santa Fe, New Mexico. I used to get to go there with my wife in the summertime because her uncle had a cabin up in those mountains. I can still remember getting lost one day and running slap into the Los Alamos uh, atomic bomb proving grounds and being stopped and sent another way, for which I was glad. Uh, then we would get up to the mountains to where we were going and uh, open up the cabin that her uncle had there in those very high, cold mountains. One of the things that you had to do each year was to go up and check the reservoir. You had to go up on the side of the mountain and look where the water came from. There was a collecting place there. There was a place where water would be held. And sometimes in the course of the winter and the deep snows that fell there, uh, there would be leaves and debris that would clog up the pipe which brought the water down the hill to where we were, which things are a spiritual metaphor. Prayer is the connecting link of earth to heaven. When the Lord Jesus gave his account of the, when Luke gave the account of the Lord Jesus' prayer, which we call the Lord's Prayer, which is actually the disciples' prayer. You can find it in Luke chapter 11. And if you look there, Luke surrounds it by telling of a need that existed. He also tells us that Jesus was praying in a certain place and someone having heard him pray came up after he had finished one of his disciples, whose name is not given, but to whom all the world will forever be grateful, 
and who said to the Lord Jesus, having heard him pray, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples to pray. Evidently, John had given his disciples a pattern of prayer. Well, after Jesus teaches this prayer or gives this uh, version of the prayer, he illustrates it by telling them a story. He said, suppose you shall have a friend and you shall go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from the inside he shall answer and say, do not bother me, the door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. Now, this tells us exactly what I tried to illustrate from the pipe that came down from the mountain. There was a friend in need. And there was a friend to feed. And there was a friend indeed. He went to him and woke him up. And having waked him up and shamelessly persisting in his prayer, he was supplied probably more than one or two loaves of bread, but all the bread that he needed. Now Jesus is not telling us that God is churlish, but in an oriental contrast, he is telling us that if this simple homely story, which may have come out of Jesus' own boyhood, illustrates the willingness of his father, Joseph, not his earthly father, but his protector. Joseph would get up and give to a neighbor who had a friend who came in the night, and as a little boy, Jesus would listen and hear all that went on, and then finally know the transaction had taken place. Then Jesus would say, how much more? Will your heavenly Father give good gifts to them that ask him? Often when Richard and I come out to lead in worship, we are in prayer in the back, either the two of us or others who may come and pray with us. What we are praying is, Father, there are people in need outside. We need to take the bread of life to them, and we ask you to give it to us, so that we can take it out there and give it to them. And if any real blessing comes, it's in response to that prayer. I tried to call the title of this sermon, Moving Heaven and Earth. To move heaven and earth, you do the will of God. And one of the little children answered correctly a moment ago when he said, in answer to the question, how do you find God's will? 
you listen to what God says. When I open the Bible, God opens his mouth. And he speaks to me his words. If I obey those words, I am obeying the will, the revealed will of God, which he has given to me. Richard brought out to me a clipping which he'd cut out of the paper. And I appreciate this because it illustrates so well that wonderful passage which we read from Romans 12 a moment ago. The passage that tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice which is holy and acceptable. Well, the, the clipping that he brought out, knowing my great love of football, was of Lyle Alzado. Lyle Alzado was a terrific all-pro defensive end for the Oakland Raiders back in the days when John Madden was coaching there. Lyle Alzado weighed over 300 pounds. He was fierce. When he came through the offensive line after a quarterback, the quarterback's hair turned gray quickly. Lyle Alzado often said that he used the Braille method in separating the people that were there. And to have him pounce on you would be the rough equivalent of throwing a grand piano on top of But Lyle Alzado became so obsessed with football and so determined that he would be the fiercest man that pro football could see, and he loved to maintain that image, that he used anabolic steroids, which is not only illegal, but it is destructive. Just a couple of years ago, he became diagnosed with cancer of the brain. The steroids which he had used to promote body weight and muscle growth and to give him added energy and fierceness had now turned in against him. And for several years now, he has been going around on talk shows telling young athletes, do not destroy yourself by going this route to win. I had in my mind, this is Alzado's words, I had my mind set and I did what I wanted to do. So many people tried to talk me out of what I was doing and I wouldn't listen. His body belongs to God. Our bodies belong to God. We will learn to obey him and listen to him, or we will pay a price for not obeying him. The destruction that was wrought in South Central Los Angeles and which has been beamed all over the world with its billion dollars worth of destruction, at least 56 lives of people destroyed and others probably in the process of dying or who will not be found. 
I had a letter from Sam Fields, who lives out there. Sam wrote me, he is a black, was the first black to join the Montreat Presbyterian Church. And in the letter, Sam and I have been friends for years. And I can still remember his first encounter on this campus with racial hatred, really. When someone burned a cross on his door. And Carol Tyler, who was one of our deans at that time, called back to my office and said, Sam is going home to Winston-Salem. He can't take it anymore here. But I think you ought to talk with him before he leaves. So he came back to my office. And he, he said, I just simply can't take it anymore. And I said, Sam, I want to talk to you about your relationship to the Lord Jesus. Do you really belong to him? If you really belong to him, then you're willing to take up his cross. And I said, they haven't nailed you on a cross yet. They just burned one on your door. And if you don't go through this, someone else is going to have to go through it for you. But if you are willing to go through this, you'll make it easier for someone else down the line. He had cried until his eyes were swollen over. We knelt and prayed together. He joined the Montreat Church. He won a lot of affection and friendship from students, and he stayed and is a Christian witness teaching in a Christian school today. And that was one of the reasons that he wrote me a letter to tell me to keep on encouraging people, to encourage him, them to do the will of God. Well, Jesus says here that we are to pray to God, thy will be done. This is often looked upon as one of those verses that what I call tombstone territory. You put it on a tombstone when a little baby dies, thy will be done. And we mournfully say when we can't think of anything else, thy will be done. Just as though the worst thing in the world to happen would be the will of God. And that's not what he is teaching here. He is teaching us that when we do God's will, we do it with joy. It may be a solemn joy, and it may be like Sam's experience, but it will also lead eventually to some blessing that will come to someone else as a result of it. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you remember Jesus when he went to Mount Calvary? Well, he is teaching us to do God's will when he talks to us in that way. I cannot say, Our Father, if I live only for myself. I cannot say, Who art in heaven, if I'm laying up treasure only on earth. I cannot say, Hallowed be thy name, if I'm not striving for holiness. I cannot say, Thy kingdom come, if I'm not doing all in my power to hasten that wonderful event. And by the way, kingdom means the king 
whose authority is obeyed. A weak king has subjects who do not obey him. And this is one of the pitfalls of the church. But if I know him as my king and his domain is over me, then I obey him. John Calvin, the one who is responsible for the theology of the Presbyterian church, his sign was an open heart, was an open hand with a burning heart with flames on either side, and the crest beneath it was, I offer you my heart promptly and sincerely. That's the obeying of him and allowing his kingdom, his domain over us. I can't say thy will if I am disobedient to his word. Now that's the principal lesson of today, that I obey his word. How do I obey his word? I obey his word in exactly the way in which we saw it a moment ago. I present my body as a living sacrifice to God holy and acceptable. This is worship. Most of us wish to give God our souls, but we would like to keep our bodies as a sort of fun house that we do what we want to with. We're not to be conformed to this world. J.B. Phillips translates it, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Last week, some idiot article appeared in the Asheville paper uh, advocating homosexuality. The man said uh, that if his memory served him correct, there was only one mention of it, and that was in Leviticus. His memory doesn't serve him very well. It's also mentioned very explicitly in Romans chapter 1, where we are told by God's apostle Paul and Jesus' great apostle Paul in no uncertain terms, uh, that this is a dark sin and one of which there must be repentance and we have to turn away from it. Now, any one of us would, I assume any one of us would be willing and or we ought to be willing to show loving concern and help toward anyone who in the confusion of identity of his maleness or her femaleness is caught up in this wretched trap and do what we can to help. And that's not the only sin in the Bible. There are other sins too. But regardless of what society says, we're not to be squeezed into the mold of this world. We are to be transformed by the renewing power of God. And that's what Romans 12 is seeking to bring across to us there. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what do you prove? You prove what is the will of God. Now, Jesus taught us to pray for the will of God. Most of us don't find the will of God because we are afraid of what we might find. We don't want to obey it. If you want the will of God, then be willing to obey it. In John 7, 17, Jesus says, If any man is willing to do the will of my Father, the will of my Father will be revealed to him. That's the organ of spiritual growth. It's obedience to the will of God. And when we do that, he proves what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let love be genuine. That is, it's not to be phony. 
We are told plainly what the will of God is here. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. The will of God is that we love one another with brotherly affection. That we outdo one another in showing honor. That we never flag in zeal. That we be aglow with the Spirit. That we serve the Lord. That we rejoice in hope that we are patient in tribulation, that we be constant in prayer, that we contribute to the needs of the saints and practice hospitality. When the list of things that were needed for our missionary were cited this morning, I couldn't help but think of this line right here. You want to do the will of God? Okay, here it is. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Bless those who persecute you. That's a little harder. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This week I went down to Greenville with two others in our congregation to see our old friend Henry Simpson. Henry is now only conscious just a little bit of the time in between injections because cancer has invaded his liver and he is not long for this world and he knows it when he has just a little flicker of light and consciousness when I took his hand and I was so happy that he recognized me. I thought, what can I say that will be familiar to him? What can he comprehend? Because his mind had been drugged to alleviate the pain. And I started to say the 23rd Psalm. I got to a place in the Psalm and stopped. And Henry spoke, and he had not been speaking much. He said, don't stop. Go on. The 23rd Psalm in the Episcopal prayer book is what's read at a funeral for a little child. I could remember more than 30 years ago going on a trip with Henry down to Florida. We were in a fish camp. And at night I read the Bible and I closed my head to, I closed my eyes and bowed my head to say the prayer after the reading. And I heard some rustling take place and I looked over and Henry had gotten down on his knees like a little child by the bed to pray. And I got over and got down on my knees beside him to pray too. And now in this extremity, that psalm and that simplicity comes back to touch him again. God's will be done. How do I know it? I know it by his word, and I know it by the character of Jesus. Jesus said, I do always those things which please my Father. And when he had talked to that woman at the well 
Do you remember in John chapter 4? Jesus had stopped there at that well in the midst of the hot, blazing sun, weary and tired. His disciples had gone away into the nearby city to buy something for them to eat and to bring it back. And then that woman comes and that long conversation takes place when Jesus asks a drink of water of her. And this woman, who has been married so many times and is now living with a man who is not her husband, is spoken to with loving reverence and kindness by the Messiah himself. And the first one in the Gospel of John here outside the immediate disciples that becomes conscious of really who he is, not Nicodemus, but this woman at the well. We know that one day the Messiah will come, she says, and then he'll tell us how to worship. And Jesus says to her plainly, I that speak to thee am he. She left her water jar and raced away into the village to go and bring back the whole town to come and see the Messiah. Well, that woman comes to my mind today when I think of doing the will of God because Jesus, when his disciples got back, they noticed that instead of being irritable because he was hungry, and tired and weary looking, that he looked absolutely refreshed. And they said to him, why are you talking to this woman? They marveled at him. And Jesus, you remember, he spoke to them about what had taken place. And he said, my meat and drink is to do the will of him that sent me. He found rest and food spiritually in doing the will of God to such an extent that he forgot all about being hungry and thirsty in talking to this woman about the Messiah and what a change it made in her life. That's another part of the will of God is that we are to bear witness for Jesus. We are to show his love without phoniness. One of my friends in the Bahamas is Virginia Mara. And Virginia had a friend who had a very, let's say, colorful life, socialite who was over at her house who could almost match this woman's record. Virginia had been witnessing to her about faith in Jesus Christ. She gave her a Bible to read, a New Testament, in modern English. This lady was smoking a cigarette and reading John chapter 4. drinking a cup of coffee and next to it there was a glass of water and she hit the glass of water and knocked it off on the floor. 
she reached down to mop up the water that had been spilt on the floor and then looked back at the text again and it said he who drinks of this water will thirst again but he who drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again because it will be like a spring bubbling up within him and the lady got the point and Virginia being a good fisher of men and women set the hook she talked to her the Lord's going to a lot of trouble to tell you something the other day one of my friends who has had a new experience with Christ called me and he had wanted to tell me about his experience and he said do you like <laughs> he called me and he said he, he knows I love wild game and he said you want some doves and I said yeah he said I'm going to clean it out in my freezer I'll bring you some and his son had already told me that he wanted to talk his father wanted to talk with me about the Lord he got out to my house and he had forgot the doves he was so nervous and he said uh, what we've been talking about this morning how do you know the will of God how do you grow in the Christian faith I said uh, well you have to read the Bible he said I can't understand the Bible his eyes bubbled up with tears because he had been in a meeting and his heart had been deeply touched and I gave him a copy of Scripture Union and uh, I said you know if you take this and start with the Gospel of John and just read through it and ask God what he's trying to point out to you and then pray it in and work it out in the course of the day you'll be surprised how you will find out the will of God and what God wants you to do and so one day a week or so ago he called me and he said come on I'll take you down to my lake house we went down there to go fishing and I noticed he was being very careful with his language after this newfound commitment we started to back out of the boathouse and a brand new rod that he had for catching muskie which is an expensive fishing rod uh, caught on the side of the boathouse and pop pop broke in two places while we were backing out he just sighed well we slid on down into the water and started to fish and he looked over at me and he said are you a hypocrite if you cuss under your breath <laughs> and I said listen there's a lot of improvement taking place <laughs> and you don't get everything all at one time and the Lord knows very well that you're trying hard. You get A for effort. <laughs> and I said, it's very precious in his sight. You are seeking to do his will. And uh, that's, what, that's what counts. Encourage those who are seeking to do the will of the Lord. By the way, I got a note that said the Van Gogh Society, poor old Vincent Van Gogh, always has been misunderstood. Doesn't have anything to do with Van Gogh. It has to do with the van and going to eat. And uh, they've got to leave, so I've got to quit. <laughs> but in uh, uh, quitting, uh, I want to, to close with this 
word again on the will of God. Repay no one evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Remember that at the next session meeting. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil. but overcome evil with good. Let us conclude our worship by singing what hymn? Well, we're going to have to sing that one. 101, this is my Father's world. This is exactly in keeping with the will of God. By the way, this was Sam Fields' favorite song when he was here. He loved the last stanza that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Let us stand and sing him one and one. Let us bow in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we want very much to lead a life that is worthy of your name. We want to be able to say, my Jesus, as thou wilt and to live for you. So we pray that you will increase us in a knowledge of your will by a deeper devotion to the authority of your word. By your help, our blessed Savior, so that even though we're unworthy, we may know that we are totally dependent upon the merit you have won for us to come to the Father by dying upon the cross in our place to take away our sins. Forgive us, O God, for falling short of your glory and grant us pardon.